What's up, Dune fans? Welcome back to the Do Not Enter podcast, where today we meet someone who's had a little too much spice, and they teach us how to fight. Will we be able to endure, or will we collapse under the pressure? I'm your host, Humphrey Shu, and join me are my friends and co-hosts, Fillmore John. What's up, guys? And Nolan Zhang. Hero, hero. Hero there. Welcome back, and uh, thank, welcome back to y'all, and thank y'all for joining me here. Uh, my pleasure. And I know it's been... Uh, <laughs> a pretty a pretty tough week for all of us so it's great that we're all here um what have y'all been up to this week um, this week i've just like finished a debate tournament i got third place we let's go that's so good but the hardest part was that yesterday when i showed up to the tournament it was like eight o'clock and like my team told me that they had changed the motion it was like really shocking i was like why and then like i don't know the tournament actually would, would explain what happened was they changed it to a UFO motion, which was really like out of the blue. Yeah, and then like my team had no case on it, and we just like created a case in like the 40 minutes on the bus ride. It was terrible. Dude, that sounds. <laughs> well, I mean, that honestly shows more about your skill as a debater than anything. Getting third place and not knowing the motion until 40 minutes before, and being able to do an impromptu speech on UFOs is. I can't even do an impromptu speech on this book, let alone UFOs. <laughs> honestly, I like, I was like, UFOs, I hate this already. <laughs> Master <laughs> Debater Nolan. Dude, okay. Master Debater. Dude, honestly, I, that sounds like the scariest thing because I used to do debate and I had so many different topics, but like if I got a Uf- UFO topic, I'd probably just like leave. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no point in staying when I'm going to lose well. anyway, right? I'm really scared. Yeah, that is very scary. Wow. How about you, Fillmore? What have you been up to? So this week, I've had a soccer game for three days in a row for what? school. Yeah. What? And it was freaking super cold yesterday, and I was playing what? in the freezing weather. Oh. Well, I mean, it wasn't that cold. Like, it was pretty cold. It's like 40 degrees, but like, it was the wind that cold. made it so bad. Honestly, uh-huh. Did y'all get to wear like windbreakers or something? Not in the game. Wait, Ow. were you wearing like shorts and long sleeve shirts? <laughs> Yes. Uh, oh, yeah. dude, that's tough. I mean, I guess you warm up really fast, but like, I don't but know, you still, still don't move as well, cause yeah. Uh, I mean, for those of y'all who think like, who think we're talking about real cold, no, it's not actually that cold. Like, we we like live in Texas, and so normally it's like 80 degrees, but uh-huh. recently it's dropped into the 30s. And I guess for all of you northerners, it's you know, it's really that's cold. like your average weather. Yeah, but here <laughs> yeah. you know we're. We're freezing, you know, we're gonna, it feels like our hands and feet are gonna fall off, so, yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's not a great experience for us. Um, it's just like how y'all would feel if, if y'all uh, were in 100 degree weather. Yeah, it's that? not that bad for us. Okay, yeah. it's a little sweaty, but, like, we could deal with it. Yeah, yeah, we could <laughs> deal with the heat more than, the, because we get heat so much more. I mean, on Christmas Eve, it was 80 degrees out here. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was really nasty. Sweating on Christmas Eve. <laughs> <laughs> well... Recently, I've been uh, applying to some summer programs. Um, I like. Wait, which ones? Oh, um, I was applying to some like summer program at like MIT. Um, there's no Ooh. way I'm gonna get in. But like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> big dreams, big dreams. There's yeah, I, I literally, it's literally buying me buying a lottery ticket. Except for instead of um, just paying like two dollars, I have to write five essays and get a bunch of recommendation letters. So oh, that dang. was. Um, okay. And I decided cool. to do it in the last week because I'm smart. That way. <laughs> um, but, 
Yeah, I'm gonna be super stressed out in the next two months until I get my decisions. So Don't worry that's about it. Be very fun. Um, yeah, it's just done now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, even, yeah. Even if you don't get in, just remember that I'm never gonna give you up. I'm never gonna okay. let you down. Yo, okay. okay. All right. I'm feeling better then now. We're gonna say goodbye. Rickroll. Yeah, and desert you. <laughs> yeah. Well, we just rickrolled our viewers, and I don't wanna. I don't want anyone else leaving. So if you're still around, <laughs> thank you very much. Um, we'll get straight into the the epigraph now, Nolan. Uh, I'll let you take okay. it away. Okay. Okay. Let me just read the epigraph to y'all. So you have read that Muad'Dib had no playmates his own age on Kaladin. The dangers were too great, but Muad'Dib did have wonderful companion teachers. There was Gurney Halleck, the Troubadour warrior. You will sing some of Gurney's songs as you read along in his book. There was Dorfer Hawat, the old Mentap master of assassins, who struck fear even into the heart of the Padishah Emperor. There were Duncan Idaho, the sword master of the Janaz, Dr. Wellington Ewa, a name black in treachery but bright in knowledge, the Lady Jessica, who studied, who guided her son in the Bene Gesserit way, and of course the Duke Leto, whose qualities as a father have long been overlooked, from a child's history of Muad'Dib by the Princess Irulan. So the first thing that I just wanted to bring up was that, like, I think by now it's pretty obvious who the Muad'Dib is, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, before we were, like, 90% sure, but now we're, like, 110% sure. Um, yeah. It's funny because Herbert <laughs> yeah. spoils, as we talked before, Herbert, you know, he's not scared of spoiling the story, and... I mean, there's definitely going to be more to it, but it already feels like we know so much, you know, <laughs> because of how much spoilers there's been in the. the Bro, I can already see the ending. What is this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. And then there's a hundred plot twists, <laughs> of course, which is why people enjoy this book so much. Mm -hmm. um, it's okay. Yeah. Um. So I guess it also confirms that that Paul is not actually antisocial. So, you know, he can make friends that's and good, girls. Yeah, okay, good. okay. <laughs> okay, he's playing. Okay. Yeah. Um, but mostly it's because he was kept away from society because he was a part of the royal family and he had to be protected. But also, I guess he had, like, great teachers to be his friends. So it wasn't that bad, I guess. Yeah. And another thing was that I noticed that it was a child's history of Muad'Dib, which means that, like, there seems to be another book other than just the other two that we've already seen in the in these in these epigraphs, and this one details like his childhood, which I'm guessing is his life on Kaladin. So I'm thinking of like the before and after. So maybe like in the in the Bible, like the Old Testament, New Testament, you know, that right. marking point of like when he arrives on Arrakis is like the turning point. That's what I think. Right. No. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 I guess it is like a book series, like I was talking about, except for you know the books are details of his life, not mm -hmm. Old Testament, New Testament, which is of course many thousands of years, but like. Uh, this this is just a d detailed history of Paul's life, I guess. So. Yeah. yeah. So Paul would be like Jesus. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. You can, I mean, you can draw the draw yeah. parallel. I mean, we don't know what the Muad'Dib is really. So for oh, all so we yeah. know, he could be a holy figure. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Super soft figure in this book. Yeah. Um. So now we'll get into the the book. So we start out in the POV of uh thufir hawat so this is the guy that the epigraph said strikes fear into the heart of the emperor so he must be a pretty scary guy but here mm -hmm. he's he seems pretty nice he's just a tired old man you know so yeah uh, i mean in the past few episodes i've always kind of stuck to my guns about how uh the mentats are just computers you know but mm -hmm. here it shows that they're they're very much human um so I, i'll admit it i'm um i i was uh, a fact some 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 of my facts were wrong i guess 
I mean, it's not speculation. I mean, yeah, it's hard to admit I'm incorrect, but. It's okay, <laughs> yeah. but um, I guess another thing that I'm thinking right now when I read this was that Mentats must live a very long time because it said that Durfir have been sent serving the Atreides for three generations. Now, like, well, I know they're like some super old butlers for royal families. I'm kind of thinking that three generations is a little too long, so I'm thinking that he like Mentats live exceptionally long. What do y'all think? Oh, uh, I mean, like, it could be Leto's grandfather, or Leto's father, then Leto, and now Paul. Wouldn't Paul, that be considered yeah. three generations? Because that's, right, yeah. that's not super long. Yeah, you're right. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, I guess maybe three generations just put there to make it feel like it's longer than, like, oh, 60 years, you know. Yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah, maybe. Um, but I, well, I, I guess they, I suppose that I do think they um live longer, you know. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Because they were See. talking about inbreeding, maybe they were... The mentats are genetically modified. Maybe since main, the main cause of aging now is like gene mutations, so maybe they uh, found, found a way some, to reverse found aging. Some, found some fix to that, you know. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. Um, I, I, but since it's a, like a future technology, like anything could happen. Mm-hmm. Oh, I also really like the metaphor of the target dummy to Hawat. So, um, I really liked how it described Hawat as like. Just like humanizing him more and just showing that he is tired even though he is a mentat with all these great superhuman abilities mm-hmm. i'm thinking that um this is like a bit of like foreshadowing because like it is like telling that like do fear is really tired and that means he might not be able to keep up with like how he previously saw pitter was like very smart very like energetic very sadistic and just like lots of energy to move mm-hmm. so we see this contrast and i feel like maybe it'll be like a weaker point later on in the series and just seeing that do fear can like keep up with pitter maybe Mm-hmm. Definitely, yeah. I think Lufir might be nearing the end of his usefulness and the end of his lifespan, right? And yeah, it really shows. I mean, how old and tired he is. Yeah, he's he's been through a lot. You know, he's seen a lot. He's like, we emphasize his battle wounds. So I mean, it would make sense. And of course, in this type of scenario where people are actively plotting against the the Duke, it, it's not good. But you know, um, I, I I bet you he'll find a way to redeem himself. Of course, always. Yeah. So, I mean, we're introduced into his teachers, which is Gurney Halleck, the Fear Hawat, and Duncan Idaho. Mm-hmm. So, we know that the Fear Hawat is a mentat, so he's probably, which is like strategy and such like that, right? Mm-hmm. right. And Duncan and Gurney are both combat instructors. So, Paul probably knows his combat. Like, he would probably beat you up, but <laughs> I mean, he'd beat me up, but he'd probably oh, yeah, beat yeah, all beat of us up. Yeah. One and, three. Yeah. <laughs> I got whooped by a freshman. Dang. Whoa. Yeah. He uh, clapped me. Hey yo. Anyways. Oh. Uh, yeah. Um, probably, yeah. Paul is probably very intelligent as well because Mentats are like super, super smart. Like we know that. Yeah, and Mentats are tacticians, you know, and then I suppose they're combat instructors also, you know, battle tactics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um so right. And we I guess also they, see yeah, you also see like what the trades put emphasis on because like instead of like teaching him like studying, I guess they do emphasize in this time period a lot of like fighting. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's very interesting. They do this emphasis on this like hand to hand combat, you know, compared to I expected them to have more about like firearms scholarly or, or, or more scholarly, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very interesting, honestly. Um, I'm interested to find out how. These Paul will use these abilities, right? Or not really just abilities, thought, these things he learns. I just had a thought. I feel like maybe in this universe they speak like one common language because I was like, 
as a politicians, child usually learn a lot of languages, right? So, you know, maybe they all speak one language, maybe. Oh no! Later they mentioned that the Atreides people speak like Gaelic or Gaelic. Um, oh, Gaelic, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, like like G A L A C H. Right? So. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. it so, could be Gaelic. Yeah, I guess like maybe. Gaelic or Gaelic or Galach. I don't know, but Weird. but I don't know. I feel I th I'm pretty sure there's different languages. Yeah, yeah I guess right. Paul would know a lot of languages, though, as Duke's son. Yeah, anyway, I think we're, we're getting off track. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, let's keep moving. So, Hawat here calls Jessica a, a witch mother, right? And then, so this is basically, you know, back in Chapter 2, uh, the Baron and Pitter, I think it was Pitter, that was talking about how the prospect of Jessica betraying the Atreides would impair mm -hmm. Dufir's function as a Mentat. So here, I mean, the fact that Hawat calls Jessica witch mother, um, kind of, kind of reinforces that claim that Hawat doesn't fully trust Jessica. And later on, we also get a revelation that the the BG, the Bene Gesserit, are definitely tied to, uh, the Emperor. So I guess the Hawat like doesn't trust the Emperor here either. Yeah, I'm thinking that maybe the Bene Gesserit, at least how a lot of people view them, including Hawat, sees them as like political pause the emperor uses to control the people maybe mm -hmm. yeah just like spies i guess yeah definitely so there's definitely some inherent you know distrust in there that um that Hawat kind of makes clear there is impression of jessica as a witch especially because he calls reverend mother a witch too and because <laughs> seems a respectful. lot more pure than, and respectful than the reverend mother you know so mm -hmm. yeah um Right, and then we also get some insight about Leto. So, so it's revealed Leto's busy man, right? But he still makes time to see Paul and Jessica. So originally, I thought that you know Leto was one of those fathers that like has a kid and then abandons him. You know, he went to the milk store. And then <laughs> <came> back. <laughs> but uh, I mean, it seems like it seems like that they have some pretty close familiar relationship, right? Mm -hmm. Like in the epigraph, it does say that Leto is quite the underrated father. Oh, you're right. Yeah, I missed that. I missed so much stuff in this epigraph. The epigraph was, had a lot of characterization too. Mm -hmm. Um. Right. So yeah, it's nice to know that Leto cares. Um. So no wonder Paul likes Leto so much and wants to save his life is because Leto actually acts like a father figure to him, not just you know, yeah, not just some you know guy that had him and then like left. Right. It's really so. surprising. Yeah, it just honestly. builds onto the fact. It builds onto the fact that like Leto is like this nice guy that we saw like caring about other houses, caring about now his yeah. family. So we just see that. Yeah, it makes me feel all the more pity for Leto and what he's about to see. Right. You know, something and... nice guys finish last. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so um, a little bit further, we get a, a picture of the storms on Arrakis. Um, so I'll quote here from Hawaii. He says, "That's too cautious a word. Bad. Those storms build up across six or seven thousand kilometers of flatlands. Feed on anything that can give them a push. Coriolis force, other storms, anything that has an ounce of energy in it. They can blow up to seven hundred kilometers an hour. Loaded with everything loose that's in their way, sand, dust, everything. They can eat flesh off bones and etch the bones to slivers." That's just crazy. crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's so vivid on, on, you know, I can't even imagine, you know, I'm, I play tennis and 
tennis ball like it feels heavier than a ping pong ball but if if you have i don't know 15 mile an hour winds you know you can noticeably see the ball curving in the air so That's true. when it's like 20 something miles i already feel like it's unbearable and not just 700 kilometers that's i don't know how many miles that is because Probably like 500 miles per hour. yeah i think 450 500 seems right yeah 1.6 yeah so but that's just so incredibly you know it, it shows what it could do to you you know like eat the flesh off your bones right Yeah, and that's and then so scary. and then past that like reduce the bones to slivers yeah that's just That's that's crazy so scary. imagery Like, yeah imagine being just like in the in the. In like in the storm and then like you're slowly like crumbling to ashes oh my dude and especially <laughs> i don't know how the fremen can live in those you know i know live like that that's just so that's so harrowing you know it's so it's really nature versus man there it's sounds it like reminds something me of yeah. great red spot you know in jupiter and that oh yeah 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 except for jupiter's not a desert it's gas so it's kind of different mm-hmm but <laughs> that's true yeah um and also like to control these storms they talk something about like weather control it's really expensive Sounds but what do weird. y'all think weather control really is Uh, my current thought is it looks like a geodome. That's probably wrong because like they're so far in the future. So, what do you think, Phil? More? I mean, yeah. Well, I thought it was like something that they released into the air to control the weather. Cause like I know Oh. that like in Dubai they like did some electricity into the atmosphere to make force the rain to come down. Uh So huh. I was thinking Right. something like that. Yeah, that reminds me of something I read too, where they performed some experiments where uh, they put some 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 chemical i don't remember what into the into the clouds like they seeded the clouds and then to to induce precipitation um which Honestly, i thought that's was really such a fascinating weird thought. yeah <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I thought it was fascinating that i mean the, the test i mean the the experiment was like over a few years but it was inconclusive because of the scale right it's like really hard to it's really hard to prove that your your seed you know was the one that produced the the weather not you know just natural causes but I thought I thought it was really fascinating. Maybe it's something like that, but of course that's like inducing precipitation, not the other way around, like stopping Mm -hmm. Yeah, storms and stuff. So that's I don't true. know. Yeah, um, yeah, that's fascinating though. I mean, definitely. So they also mentioned like water starvation on the planet Arrakis, but like since it's so like since they have such advanced technology, I was thinking why couldn't they just import lots of this water? Like it is a desert planet, but and the main thing they need is water. So shouldn't they just import it? Like maybe make a contract with the spacing guild to bring some water in. Um, uh, I have some thoughts on this, but, um, I guess my first thought is that water is really heavy, right? And, like, it's heavier than most objects, and it's already more so expensive just to transport humans on over space, so maybe, like, the spacing guild, like, while it could be done, it's maybe, like, super, super expensive as just water is just so inconvenient. Oh, yeah. yeah that definitely makes sense and also i think that you know i think that here the fremen are just really poor like i think water especially on a rockus this planet like a rockus water would be very expensive and and then if they ever import water it'll be for the rich people and the rich people are not going to share it with the fremen you know so especially considering That's true. how how special it is right so i think th that's kind of what's going on here this this thirst right it's it's caused by i mean they're they're being manipulated and not having that much money right
and there's like this fascinating technology that they talk about to kind of address this water problem this still suit actually funny story in our book it was called a stole suit like s-t-u-l <laughs> yeah i was i was so confused but nolan corrected me because nolan has the actual edition and me and phil were just working off pdfs um yeah but yeah so stole suit I mean, that sounds so weird <laughs> but still suit is a lot better. yeah um it rec basically works by reclaiming the body's moisture um i guess like filtering it and not allowing it to escape and then doing you know and then mm -hmm. like, doing filtration processes and making sure it's clean enough to, to use again um but do you thought think... it was pretty disgusting like do y'all think they use a p as well like on international space station yeah they yeah. definitely do it's like they the biggest definitely yeah recycle urine because it's and a nice water filter oh. <laughs> i mean it's probably just like a miniaturized treatment plant yeah right yeah because they're not processing that much water so it might not be since it's in the future it might not be too hard to build a miniature one yeah <laughs> i mean right so i'm not going to talk too much about what what talks like the smell you know it <laughs> it seems like a not ideal condition to live in and also they probably can't you know shower for for years <laughs> if they're lucky you know maybe Oh yeah, there's like no water on the plant to drink, much less shower. <laughs> yeah, I bet instead of showering, they'll just drink it. Yeah. Mhm. Mm they yeah, need all the water they can get. Yeah, but they can take like one minute shower or like twenty crusty shower. skin. Oh, they probably just like wet a towel and just wipe themselves off. Honestly, yeah, that's oh, probably that's, that's what a lot of people that's, do. Yeah. It's much more efficient. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> let's move on. Let's move on from that. <laughs> okay, so in this page, we also see how Hawat tries very hard to implant. What I think is the planet as the enemy, because like what I'm thinking is that like Hawa is one of those people after knowing like the disgusting condition that they live in, views the environment as the enemy, especially knowing how like how dangerous the sandstorms are. And mm -hmm. I feel like maybe the Fremen, at least maybe what I'm thinking, like them trying to wear this, either they're trying to like do the best to live or like survive, or maybe hopefully they found a more sustainable way of living with the environment. What do y'all think? Yeah, I I think definitely um working with the environment is. Like the enemy, okay, physically, it's literally the environment. You know, mm -hmm. they're they're fighting against it. The Fremen are fighting thirst. They're fighting these horrible weather conditions. But I think another part is they're also fighting the the Harkonnens, right? Because mm -hmm. it, it was former Harkonnen territory. Used to be the Harkonnen territory, right? So I think maybe that's the enemy. It's because like Hawat thinks it's the enemy because you know they don't know what's gonna happen there, right? And then yeah. there could be Harkonnens hiding behind every rock, you know, every tree. Well, given mm -hmm. there's trees, I don't think there are. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> hiding behind Harkin is hiding behind every rock, waiting to ambush. So I think that's why he thinks you know it's an enemy. That's true. I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, Filmer, do you have anything to add to that? Oh, I mean, you basically said said what I was gonna say. Oh, okay, cool. Um, well, let's move on a little bit more. If if you know, if you didn't think it was bad enough, here it gets worse. Uh, here's what the Reverend Mother has to say about Arrakis. Um, honestly, everybody's just, you know, destroy like, roasting Arrakis in this game. Yeah. yeah. Literally roasting, because, you know, you get roasted on Arrakis. Right, but, um, so what the Reverend Mother says is, quote, You'll learn about the funeral planes, she said, about the wilderness that is empty, the wasteland where nothing lives except the spice and the sandworms. You'll stain your eye pits to reduce the sun glare. Shelter will mean a hollow out of the wind and hidden from view. You'll ride upon your own two feet without thopter or ground car, ground car or mount. Wow. So basically, if it couldn't get worse, you know, there's worse. It got worse. <laughs> yeah. Um. 
Funeral planes. Let's discuss those first. What do y'all think these funeral planes are? Like, are they just deserts? Like, funeral as in, oh, no one, nothing lives there, so it's dead. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that actually makes sense, to be honest. Okay, it does make sense. But, like, what if, like, because, like, there used to be a bunch of people, like, civilization, maybe thrive from this planet. What if, like, a dictator came and said, like, wipe them out? <laughs> oh, my God. Just, like, morbid. <laughs> the, what, the aftermath of a nuclear war. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if a nuclear war reduces a planet to a desert. Yeah. That's actually a good... I don't know. I'm probably going too far, but maybe the stole suits are also anti-radiation. But that's, like, way too far. Mm -hmm. Oh, I see what you mean, yeah. Yeah, or maybe, like, there, there was some war fought here or something, and then, like, people wiped out, so their funeral plans because, you know, mass graves and stuff, but... Yeah. Actually, I don't know if a nuclear war would make a desert. Because I heard that a nuclear war would cause an ice age. That's true. Uh, but I mean, isn't, would... a desert also, isn't a desert also, like, it could be an Yeah, like Antarctica is a desert. Oh, know? like an Arctic desert, yeah. Yeah, maybe. I oh, that would pro that probably make sense. But I mean, here it's clearly not an Arctic desert. It's like sand mm -hmm. and stuff. So I guess you're right, yeah. So yeah, and the Fremen have it way worse than I thought. I honestly already feel so bad for the Fremen, you know. Yeah, um, anyway. Uh, past... Past uh, roasting dude and into some more plot. Um. I was also thinking uh, when the Reverend Mother talks about their world overall, they describe it as somehow kind of like in the past in the medieval system and like how she used a ruler mainly. And Frank Herbert associates this with like a fist, right? A capable ruler mm -hmm. with a fist, which is like when I think of it, it's like either like a sign of strength and control, which is very authoritarian in my opinion, mm -hmm. and like. Does that mean in this future world, democracy ceased to exist and everyone's just, like, given up and, like, given themselves over to a ruler? Like, a strong, like, fist ruler? Iron fist? Maybe. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking that, yes, it's like a duke and whatnot, and then, and baron and whatever. I thought, since, I think we talked about it was a fiefdom in the first episode. Uh -huh. um, so maybe that's what it means, like, yes, it's, it's a really feudal nature of feudal structure society you know we have like an emperor and we have you know like a whole guild of like barons and land landowners yep. and landlords and stuff like maybe that's what they mean like i guess then they are very authoritarian because it's inherently a monarchy right mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah i mean I, I don't really see uh i mean and i guess that's why the reverend mother you know talks about this stuff is because that's how that's the world they live in right mm -hmm. um and yeah, I guess in this in this world, strength means like power. But what do you all think about the Trades family then? Because like what the Reverend Muller's been describing them, it doesn't seem like the Trades fit this theme too well. Like being a strong, like str like a like a, a not strong, but like a, they might be strong, but at the same time, like very strict ruler. Like the Harkon is how we get that because like the Duke Leto seems really nice to his people and to other houses. He doesn't fit the idea of like a fist, like an iron fisted ruler. Well, I mean, everybody has their own ways of ruling, and it's just it's his way of ruling that makes it like seem like he's not the iron-fisted dictator. But like the, I mean, isn't there a quote that says like a smart dictator is one that makes a dictatorship not feel like one? Oh, uh, well, like, yeah. I think I know what quote. Yeah, I think yeah, I know what like, quote you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, which I find. Yeah, hey. definitely. So, yeah, I think that's probably why Leto's popularity is rising so fast. Maybe he's doing it differently than all of his peers, right? Oh, oh I found a quote. She said, so the Reverend Muller said, 
a ruler must learn to persuade and not to compel. So yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, probably there's like some other quotes like similar to that too. Mm -hmm. Honestly, these all feel like art of war quotes. You know, Sun Tzu art of war. Like mm -hmm. all this stuff is so old timey. You know, mm -hmm. even though Sun Tzu gets memed a lot, but yeah, even though he's been memed a lot, it's it's it sounds so old timey. I think yeah, it feels like a lot of, like art of war here. You know, mm -hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if Art of War is still a, a good, a big book in this future world because it's but, honestly, like, yeah, yeah. So also, when they say like uh, nothing lives except the spice and the sandworms, does that mean that the spice is alive? Oh wait, yeah, I didn't even catch that. That's right. Yeah, yeah nothing lives except the spice and the sand. Yeah, so I guess oh, definitely oh. the way it's worded, yeah, that, mm -hmm. that would imply the spice is a living thing, which is really interesting because I always thought it was like salt and pepper you know but yeah i was yeah. thinking of salt from an ocean but I, maybe yeah. it's like some sort of plant like paprika is from peppers right yeah. and paprika is a spice mm -hmm. what if they're just like what, what if the spice is just like like cactus pears and they're just grinding it up oh, my. <laughs> oh maybe i was thinking more like some sort of desert algae where it doesn't like oh. it grows like in those extreme conditions because you know uh, algae yeah. algae grows in like can grow in pretty bad conditions right yeah because yeah, yeah. um right. you mean. yeah i see what you mean yeah that would be very interesting that would throw a, a wrench into um or throw a wench, I don't remember what the saying is, of into our intro, because we keep talking about the spice, but we have to reconsider how we uh, word our intro. Yeah. Um, right. Um, but I hope we find out more. I don't think we get any more about spice in the rest of the chapter. I mean, but uh, yeah, I hope we see more of that. I mean, I think, honestly, the reason, one of the big reasons I keep reading this is because, uh, well, one, because of the podcast, and also because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I need to see what this spice is all about. Really, yeah. Why it's spices. so spicy so good <laughs> people <Right>. addiction <laughs> my strange addictions yeah <laughs> um so did reverend mother use the voice to tell paul like that he could speak of the conversation you know then like how can paul break the voice you know like break out the command or because earlier mm. paul was compelled i think in chapter one you know he was compelled like whether reverend mother told him to do something he just did it without even thinking right mm -hmm. so you know that's that's really interesting what do you what do y'all think like or maybe what the reverend mother said was like too disturbing for him to speak but i think it's more likely that she used the voice right mm -hmm. i think she also used a voice as well back on page 30 uh described when paul was thinking about what the reverend mother was talking about he described it as like him not focusing mainly on the words but mostly on her tone which she described as sing-song and wavering so I felt like maybe she was imbuing it with some type of power, like through the voice, you know, by oh, changing her voice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it, it reminds me of, yeah, I guess it is, yeah, I mean, because it's like a crooning voice almost, you know. kind of. Yeah, like, like a siren's voice. Yeah, like siren. yeah sirens is definitely yeah. a very good example. Yeah, it's sing-song especially, you know, that's point of the sirens. Yeah, okay, yeah. then that's very interesting that the Reverend Mother would, tell paul that their conversation is secret and then i wonder if paul i don't know how paul has the ability to break out of that you know kind of mm -hmm. that conditioning or, or something but some sort I, of benedictor yeah, training yes yeah, help them yeah, break from it yes yeah, some benedictor thing yeah i'm not sure that, that's very mm -hmm. interesting yeah yeah it's nice you caught that because i i definitely did not catch that earlier <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. anyway um 
So what it means to rule, the Reverend Mother like talks about like ruling and sh her, she talks about how a good ruler needs to attract talented people and learn their way around the language. Mm -hmm. So yeah. when they we say language, it's not like, like English or like Spanish. Mm -hmm. It's like the language of the rocks and growing things. So maybe like the language of life. Whoa, yeah. Yeah, so I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's very that's interesting and confusing at the same time. I'm not actually too sure what she means by like the language of life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like maybe being attuned to your surroundings and being able to, like keep in touch with all the things going around you, and you know being super careful of you know what's what's happening. You know. Yeah. Right? Like staying up to date, basically. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Honestly, honestly I'm not too sure. What do you think? That. Yeah. Uh, I kind of thought of it as like understanding the language of the people that they're ruling because after all, like they are rulers and like you gotta stay attuned to your subjects because she did mention the whole like you can't compel the people you gotta like you have to like oh, persuade them, them. yeah you have to persuade them so that's what I was thinking like oh maybe yeah. like knowing the conditions that the people live in yeah oh staying maybe. in touch with your with your like citizens right with your yeah. citizens yeah. I guess yeah that would make sense. Um, and we get the first law of the Mentat, which is very interesting, says, it's, you know, very interesting quote, it says, a process cannot be understood by stopping it. Understanding must move with the flow of the process, must join it and flow with it. So, I, I don't know, I feel like it, it's so, you know, so abstract of a, of a quote. I'm, Honest, trying to yeah. show, I'm trying to remember which book I would try to see, I would see it in. I thought this was just like a really abstract way of saying, oh, you need to learn things hands on and like go through with it or else like you won't be able to learn it. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's funny, this is, it's funny that I mean, because I can't see how this ties to a mentat, right? This quote, the first law is I mean, it's the first law of mentat, but I mean, I don't I don't know what I mean, it seems kind of obvious. Yeah, like I I mean, I think it's basically saying like you need the experience in order to understand or something. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's it seems very general of a quote. Yeah. Um I don't quite understand. <laughs> yeah, I don't quite understand. We'll see more. I hope we get a whole book of the mentat, honestly. It seems like I mean these quotes are all pretty general, but it seems pretty, I mean these are pretty nice quotes. So. I feel like there's like deeper meaning. Yeah, yeah, definitely there's deeper meanings. Probably we need more context with this mm -hmm. because it's right now it's just so general it can be applicable anywhere. You know, oh just don't don't try to change your future. You know, like that's true. Yeah, it's like imagine you have like people like in Greek mythology fighting against their their like their their fate. Yeah, fighting against yeah. fate. I mean the best example is like Oedipus, um, but. Uh, there's a lot of examples. I can't really remember anything else, but anyway. Um, so moving past that, uh, we find out that the Fremen uh, hate the Harkonnens, right? So no wonder they were yeah. like, no wonder like the Baron and Pitter were super worried about Leto escaping into like the Fremen society because the Fremen seem like they'll support anyone other than the Harkonnens, right? So, oh, uh... yeah. What do y'all think? Um, I guess. Yeah, I don't know, because, I mean, it, it would make sense, because I think that the Harkonnens probably subjugated them to be slaves, right? Yeah, so mm -hmm. maybe I, I feel like they have a lot of support. However, what I found interesting about this was how the Imperium, like, they mentioned much more than what the Imperium thought there was. So, like, I feel like, why didn't they count them properly, right? Is it because, like, the conditions on Arrakis are too tough? Like, is it really, just really annoying to go out and count everyone when, like, the sandstorms? 
Or is it because that they were so unfriendly that they couldn't, like, they wouldn't show themselves? Well, I mean, I think it's just really hard to find them. Yeah, I think That's it's really true. hard to perform a census on people that live, you know, in the sand. Yeah, live <laughs> in, like, secret caves. We can hardly perform a census in today's society with modern technology, you know. They live in caves and sand and stuff. Good luck finding all of them, you know. That's mm -hmm. true. Yeah, probably, I mean, the only people that, at the surface are probably the brave ones, because, you know, you're exposed to elements. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I guess I mean it's very reasonable to assume that there's many more fremen than what they expected, right? Yeah. yeah. But I mean, I was thinking like if the fremen hate the Harkonnens, but why would they not hate the Atreides who are replacing them? Like, because they're essentially oh. going to be doing the same thing. That's Wait, true. are they? Are the Atreides still going to like force the fremen to mine oh. spice or whatever? Well, I mean, there's our traders are there to harvest the spice in, in like, the place of the else, Harkonnens. Yeah, who else oh. knows the desert better than the Fremen, right? So. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I don't know. This is super wild, but maybe Lido promised them water or something. Or, oh yeah. Or maybe I'm... Lido did something to gain. I mean, because we know Lido's popular, and we know the Harkonnens have a bad track record already, right? So I don't know. What they probably just have their bad rep, and then anyone they feel like anyone will be better than them. Yeah, maybe it's like the French and the British when they came to America. Like some, the British decided to like kill all the Native Americans, while the French decided to befriend them and trade with them. Right. Yeah. So that 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 definitely makes sense. Yeah. Even though the French were coming ultimately for the same result, you know, they yeah, they the, did it the differently, Americans slightly. Like yeah, like them a lot more. Um. So we get a new planet here. They talk about this planet, Salusa Secundus. Um. To be honest, I have. We know nothing about it. I mean, Hawat says like they know what happened like long ago or something. Um, it's like, but I mean, I don't know. It seems like a destroyed planet. But I mean, I love the name. That's mm -hmm. like, the mainly the it's reason. It's such brought a it nice up. name, yeah. Yeah, it's such it's such a nice like. I don't know. It's just there's some alliteration in it. I don't know why I like it so much, but it's it's a really nice name, yeah. Right, so we, I, I mean, um, I don't have too much to talk about, so we can kind of move on. From I there. think, I think the whole, like, when, like, Hawat came into the room with Paul, and this whole, like, sitting with your back to the door, uh -huh. it's like, it's like, obviously, it's probably, like, I guess what I remember, like, what I associate this term with is, like, like, stand, like, fight with your back to a wall, right, instead of a door. And since he's like the weapons master, I guess he'd be like really interested in teaching him that. But much more than that, I feel like it's also an extended metaphor of being unprepared, right? Mm -hmm. So like Hawass like really trying to tell um Paul to be prepared so to not like sit with his back against the door because like what if someone comes in on you? Like what if mm -hmm. someone's attacking you, right? Right. However, it's like this emphasis on the warnings despite the fact like he's getting all these warnings. But it feels like it's just a fragile sense of security. But Hawat says it, like, it keeps emphasizing that he needs to fear it. But it does, like, at a certain point, it seems like Hawat's actually scared of Arrakis. And at a certain point, like, this is, he's just saying it because he could say it, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think. And also, just be sitting with your back to any doors, you know, maybe someone comes into the window or something, right? So, I mean, there's nothing. I mean, it's a good metaphor. And, right, you should be prepared. But, I mean, there's, like, Always something that you can't control, you know. Yeah, I think Hawat definitely is afraid of Arrakis. Like, there's too much uncertainty. Yeah, like, it, yeah, it'll quote unquote again impair his function as a mentat, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, and Hawat, you know, he's old. I'm assuming, you know, his brain isn't what it once was, so he's probably not. 
He's he's probably a little bit, you know, scared rusty or not rusty, happen. but like, yeah, he's wary. That, that was what mm -hmm. I was looking for. Yeah, yeah. We're not even like, I mean, definitely more scared than wary, but yeah. And Maybe. we're introduced actually um, to Gurney Halleck. So Gurney, he seems like a great guy. He's a new character. Um, he's called he's the weapons master here at Castle Caladan. He's called quote-unquote a rolling ugly man um <laughs> herbert definitely did not hold back <laughs> um <laughs> but he's carrying a load of weapons but he's also carrying a ballista and as a you know piano player you know i love instruments so what do y'all think it is I, i'm not so sure it's a real life instrument but do y'all know anything with like nine strings and a multi-pick um i mean it just I... sounds like a really advanced guitar right yeah me too yeah it sounds like a guitar to me because like there's like you can put multiple strings on guitar. There's like twelve string guitars, except they're like they're, it's not like two strings. It's not really a twelve string like how most people think. But another thing that I feel like gives away is a guitar's mentioning of a pick. Where it's like it's a very like it's an instrument that's very like no not an instrument like a tool very specific to a guitar. I don't hear other instruments using the term pick. Right. Along with like the fingerboard, which I know like there's like violin stuff, but like it's just yeah. The pick and everything else just makes me think of it as a guitar, yeah. Yeah, I was thinking like guitar, like ukulele or something like. Some yeah, that definitely would make sense. Um, that would be that's pretty cool, and of course, like, I mean, Paul clearly thinks you know Gary is a bad player, um, but <laughs> I don't know. He seems some. He seems some, he's seen some interesting songs, which I would not yeah. Be I think it was just bantering with him, to be honest. Yeah. Oh, I think it's fine. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, his songs are definitely very interesting. Um, uh, well, I mean, they also talk about Duncan Idaho, the other weapons master, I believe. Uh -huh. And it sounds like a super American name, because, like, you know how yeah. Idaho is a state in the U.S., yeah. and Duncan is also, oh, like, sure. kind of a common name. Mm -hmm. I was thinking maybe Dune is, like, in the future of our world, maybe? Or it's probably just a coincidence. Yeah, maybe. Probably, I mean, Idaho, yeah, that, that's what I noticed too. I guess, I mean, maybe some linguistic stuff passed down. But I mean, yeah. I, I, I mean, I don't know anyone with name, first name or last name with Idaho, you know? So that's a, yeah, I mean, it's like the same thing as like, <laughs> last name, like potato, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Idaho potatoes. I don't know. Uh, no, that's definitely a very interesting name. But we don't know anything yeah. else about Duncan. Yeah, we don't know anything yeah, else. I mean, yeah, I mean, but we just get his like name. Other weapons master, right? Yeah. Yeah. So. So we're also introduced to some weapons technology, which which are rapiers, bodkins, kindles, slow pellet stunners, and shield belts. Mm -hmm. So they mentioned shields earlier, but shield belts? I was like confused about that. Yeah. It kind of yeah. reminded me, yeah. The shields kind of reminded me of the nuke defense system from Ender's Game, which made like nuclear weapons irrelevant. Perhaps like the shields are like a similar concept. I don't know. I imagine them as force fields, and I don't me know too. how actually the anti, you know, the anti-nuke shields and Ender's Game work. But here mm -hmm. it's like a portable one, and it's small scale for like your body only. I was thinking, I mean, for those inheritance cycle fans, right? I was thinking it was like wards, right? Oh yeah, that yeah, would make like, a lot of sense. Yeah, there were like wards where you know they're like magical protection, right? And they would also, and it's really similar because the wards also wear out after you hit them a lot, right? Mm -hmm. And stuff. So I guess that's what it meant when uh, when 
Hawat warned him to like keep his like shield charge. You know, like if you, it can only take so many hits right before it breaks. Mm -hmm. Except like uh, wards, wards in the inheritance cycle can like stop keeping from like drinking poison and stuff. Yeah, I mean there were a wide, wide, much wider variety of wards, but I was like I, like the physical wards, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that was what I, I was thinking. I kind of thought them as like you know like those play bubble things, like the like the it's like a toy but you wrap it like you oh like a it. giant hamster ball right yeah yeah, yeah. but oh, like it's like a this. it's like a balloon you know it's like a, mm -hmm. <laughs> you run into people with them that's oh, what i thought interesting yeah i haven't actually heard about that yeah i was thinking just like a thin layer or not like oh. a thin layer but just like a layer on top of your skin that like uh -huh. keeps yeah yeah i was thinking kind of like a bubble yeah i guess there's mm -hmm. a big big like plastic ball around you or something right that uh -huh. yeah some in, within some radius yeah that's very interesting that's a very unique concept um, yeah yeah it, it's especially like the concept i guess the concept itself isn't too unique but the fact that it's a bell and it's like has batteries and stuff you know that's a lot more unique uh -huh. mm -hmm. another um, thing that i noticed was the usage of the word i don't know how to pronounce it aguila aguil aguil i don't know aguil i don't know but it was like it was like Paul stood in a guy or something like that, which uh -huh. meant like, I'm guessing this is some type of like fighting or like martial stance because like you know how like in like yeah. different like martial arts there's like different like I don't know what yeah. the link like it's like Korean Taekwondo and then there's like Japanese words for like Japanese stances. I'm guessing like there's some weird like language and it's just a like, way of describing it, but mm -hmm. mainly I just feel like another interesting thing that I noticed was the shields right the functioning of the shields was like to be coded against high speed attacks mm -hmm. and i was thinking does that mean like that means like they can't swing their swords that fast right because they talk about slowing down their attack which i thought was kind of interesting as our like as our fighting styles emphasizes high pace and high speed but then like how strong do y'all think that is like, like i don't know this slower. reminds me of that that video like cornstarch and water where it, it's that it, i forgot what the term is it's like that yeah it's like non-newtonian fluid where if you like basically if you mix cornstarch and water it becomes this really weird fluid if you like stick your finger in it really slowly it goes down but if you try to punch it it's like concrete you know mm -hmm. oh. so it's like really weird y'all should watch the like all viewers and so if y'all should take a look at it. but that's what that's what i was thinking about you know this these non-newtonian fluids I, but i feel like the shield would be kind of useless if it was unable to like take on a slow moving object though <laughs> yeah i mean huh? i feel like it would be easier to block slow moving objects because they have less like you know less, mm -hmm, energy, less momentum less kinetic energy yeah yeah so it's but their fighting style would be so weird now like because imagine someone being slowly poking you with like a stick it'd be so hard to like but you're like it's like slow motion fighting you're like slowly swinging yeah. your kinjal at them you know yeah i mean I, I, I to imagine. me it doesn't really make sense like yeah yeah I don't know. That that is so interesting. It, it's interesting how they can develop this type of technology, but can't find a solution for slow moving kindles. <laughs> Honestly, know. and like, I, I was like, just noticing yeah. that the the kindle seems to be like an offhand weapon, like a dagger of some type. That's yeah, what I'm thinking. yeah. I, I, I mean, I looked it up and it said it was like a knife of some sort. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh huh. That confirms it. Well, um. Yeah. I mean, I thought it wouldn't be too important, like in the story, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, it's just, it's just like yeah, nice touch. Definitely not a spoiler. It doesn't matter that much. Wait, but then that means it's like a two-handed fighting style. No, they have like, two hands. Yeah. And then the shield is a belt. I guess so. Um. A two-handed. Well, oh, you mean dual wielding? No, like yeah, yeah. or like double-handed sword, like you know. Maybe. Or like an axe, right? You have to use two hands. 
I'm not sure. It's like they they still have this kind of fighting style with it's mm -hmm. melee hand to hand, which That's is very true. interesting in a future future world where I expected them to use guns and like rocket launchers and laser shooters and stuff, you know. But like Star Wars, right, or even lightsabers. But yeah, but here they're just using you know daggers and stuff, and you know, I mean, poke, poke. <laughs> they they their technology advanced so far it actually went backwards. <laughs> Maybe, maybe actually firearms would be useless because they shoot so fast, and then we know yeah. that they can block fast objects, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe I don't, I don't know. Maybe that's. But I feel like they should have made a firearm that's strong enough to just pierce through the shield, like because right. I feel like with enough force, you'll be able to over overpower mm -hmm. like the the thinking. shield, right? Yeah, with enough, yeah, you could just go straight through it. Yeah, mm -hmm. I don't know. Very interesting. Honestly, I mean, it just makes sure. it harder for me to get my head out of medieval fantasy. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Because they're still using swords. It's just like you know, it's just like a duel, except with like swords. And so it's very funny. Um, so interesting that Paul, you know, we get a little bit of characterization. He changes from a fighting mood to a no fighting move. You know, a no fighting mood. Like after getting chastised, it kind of shows a little bit about his personality. You know, he can't take criticism very well. Right. Wow. And then, yeah, he's like, oh, I lost a little, so now I don't want to, yeah, you know, you can't beat me if I don't play, <laughs> right? <laughs> kind, of, kind of one of those. Genius, man. Yeah, he's such a genius. But it kind of, I mean, it's that pride again working, you know, he doesn't want to get beat by Gurney here, I suppose. Um, yeah, I don't know what to make of that, to be honest, because we're just getting more examples of, like, some fatal flaw in Paul's, like, and if it's, and if this is the hero's journey that I predict, you know, then, of course, Paul will have to overcome that, right? Like, mm -hmm. overcome yeah. his, his weak traits. So for his main weak trait, I feel like it's his pride. And, of course, his weakness, but he can't do anything about that, so it's his pride, I think. It's like... Um, and Paul actually here, also, in this fighting scene, uh, that believes that, like, Gurney... He believes Gurney is betraying him and actually wants to kill him, but... Gurney, I think, really just just wants to push him harder, right? But Paul is actually yeah, sure. mortally scared there for a second. He, yeah. you know, he almost wet his pants. He was like, Dude, "This guy's trying to kill me, and I'm not that good at fighting." Whoa, you know. He had a fight or flight moment. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, there. I mean, as the Duke's son, I guess you can never be too safe. Right, yeah. even though, yeah, even though it's, he's a hired sword, I don't know. Gurney was going too easy on him in those sparring matches. <laughs> Yeah. Um, back. Yeah, and this whole scene honestly is such a great fight scene. There's like there's a lot of action. Um like and of course there's a lot of you know maneuvering and tactical positioning. Um again back to the hair cycle it reminds me of like when Aragon dueled Arya in the beginning of the fourth book, it was like a lot of like tactics and subtle maneuvering and stuff. So it's similar here. It, it reminds me actually exactly of that scene where Aragon was like, oh, if I can get Arya to look into the sun, you know, like, uh, then, oh. you know, she'll be blinded, and then, you know, I can get a hit in. And then here's, like, the same thing, you know, if I can get him to knock his sword on the table, right, then I'll be able to, like, you know... Mm -hmm. yeah, He's uh, trying to use some sort of trickery. Right. So, that's what, I thought that was interesting. Um, it was... Anyway, this is the first actual, like, fighting scene you can get. And, like, from reading Tolkien, you know, we don't get fight scenes from Tolkien's personal views like he 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 like went through a war and stuff so he didn't like writing war like too much but here I guess Herbert you know he he's he's I hope he writes a lot more because I'm just spoiling for some action honestly yeah it's all been just like plot building yeah 
I honestly think that book action is really like crazy to write because like it's really hard to describe that full fledged action scene like really well. Mm-hmm. Just like the same as like animation, you know. I think it's oh, that's why like fighting. yeah, that's why there's like webtoons and like mangas. They just draw like the fight yeah. scenes for you to understand better. But like right. literature, like skill to write. Yeah, it's definitely because you don't want to write so so detailed that it feels you know too much like like drive. overwhelming, right? You don't want to give too little detail because then it's just you know it doesn't feel like a fight. It doesn't feel you don't feel action so. Finding the uh-huh. balance, you know, in fight scenes is something that's pretty hard to do. Yeah. So, anyway, I think, I personally think Herbert did a pretty great job with this one. Me um, too. Yeah, you, you felt really tense there. For a second, I was thinking the same thing about Paul, because I don't know much about Gurney, right? So, mm-hmm. um, but, yeah, so, it was, he had you on the edge of the seat there for a second. Um, anyway, so, they mentioned this thing called Beasts, right? Um, th- these were the things that, that gave Gurney his, like, his wounds so are these beasts like little beasts like animalistic you know and who who's this beast robin guy is he like the leader of these beasts i don't know it's very interesting what do you Honestly, think the first, yeah the first time i read it, i was like i thought i read beast rabbi i was like okay religious yeah before we get cancelled <laughs> Um, <laughs> um yeah and it's also like gurney he's got a scar on jetty prime which is the the harkonnen home planet right mm-hmm. so no wonder like gurney hates the harkonnens right he has a personal blood feud just like Lido does probably more because you know like for, for what we'll see later right what mm-hmm. do you think like, what i was thinking was that like how gurney was maybe he was like a prisoner of war or like a slave that the harkonnens got and then I think of it as like how the Romans had gladiators and like in a Colosseum and like maybe the beasts are like actual beasts or maybe the beasts are just like what you call like really great fighters and like you know Gurney fought his way out you know got bought mm-hmm. by maybe they're maybe they're bred like man and oh. something else like in like breed. Weird. yeah <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah to make weird. the perfect soldier it, I mean I keep thinking of breeding in this book because of what the Reverend Mother mentioned in the first chapter right Bro. so <laughs> but I have a feeling that these beasts are like human but they have like I don't know like wolf I don't know bred into them or something or, yeah. or something oh like that. or maybe just animalistic quality yeah so I, I mean that would be really weird but yeah so I don't know what it I mean it's nothing that we can we can't really speculate on beasts that much right so I think we'll move on but i mean i'm excited to see what these beasts are because i mean it's again it's another race that we're introduced to uh-huh well, another thing that i noticed was that paul was like you know gurney may have suffered the same amount of pain when i went to get that gomja bar test i was like wow paul thinking about others for once <laughs> yeah, he's <so laughs> self-centered honestly well i guess he was thinking about his dad but that's also for his like own personal benefit kind of yeah. yeah yeah here he's but, think yeah he sympathizes with gurney but another thing that i was wondering was but then like is that is it really like the same equate like can you equate this two same same two things like a battle wound to the gomja bar is it the same level of pain that's honestly i don't know because the gomja but, bar seemed like crippling pain you know yeah it's yeah. a different type right the gomja bar yeah yeah the, oh wait, you, you guys are talking about the Gomjabar test, right? Yeah. Yeah, the yeah not the poison, because no, you would die. Yeah, <laughs> that's some that's some extraterrestrial pain, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, and I mean the Gomjabar pain though was 
was like physical, really physical. I mean, it was like literally nerve stimulation. But it's, yeah, I mean, later we see that you know Gurney has like a really sad story with his sister, and that was probably definitely. I mean, emotional pain is a lot worse and a lot longer lasting. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people who's gone through emotional pain would rather like have an arm cut off or have a leg cut off than not have to suffer through that. Yeah. So that I mean it's it's just a lot worse. So honestly, Paul's making this comparison. I mean, it shows like some progression as a character, but uh, but it still feels like you know it's a bit superficial. So I'm Yeah. not too, I'm not Yeah. too sure. Yeah. I mean, but it's it's nice he's moving. You know, he's moving in the right direction. At least he sympathizes with Gurney. He's not sympathizing with himself. Or... Um, Yeah. and also it's mentioned that soon Paul, you know, he'll, he'll have to write a will, he'll get the, the contract and then you'll have to write like, oh, pick your next kin, you know, it's, it's like kind of sad because like yeah, Gurney mentions it too. He's, you know, Paul already, he's 15 and he already has to be growing up, you know, and I mean, for all, for all, you know, we like rat on, rat on Paul and whatever. I mean, we have to remember that he's like younger than us, you know, so That's true. he he's got he's got a lot of time to grow and a lot of stuff to develop but it's not Kind necessarily of cut him his some fault slack. yeah we gotta cut him some slack too when we're Yeah. yeah when we're roasting him i mean he's still fun to uh it's still fun to point out his flaws because he's supposed to be the, the the superhero here but i mean yeah he's just it's just really puts It's it in perspective a child. Yeah. he's been thrown into this situation more than he wants to be there all right Um, and I had to, I, I had to wonder here, why does Halleck have to manipulate the controls of, like, this practice dummy instead of fighting him head on, right? So, I mean, I, I felt like Halleck was doing totally fine against Paul, you know, and then Halleck, I feel like, could definitely beat Paul if he tried really hard, right? Uh, but, yeah, I, maybe he's, like, tired or something, but I, I have no clue, Mm right? -hmm. <laughs> well, I was thinking more like since uh since it's not actually how like Paul can go all out and actually like try to kill the dummy, like That's rip true. yeah. Yeah. Maybe. So I mean I think it was just like to to take take uh to take Paul's mind off of like him trying to kill somebody. Uh-huh. So yeah. And also, if you don't have, like, that inhibition, you know, it's better practice, like, technically, like, te Yeah. technique. You know, because, like, of course, you know, when we're playing, I don't know, when I play tennis, you know, when I do in practice, there's no pressure, right? It's just basically like swing as Yeah. hard as you can and you hit the ball as hard as you can and try to make sure it goes in. But there's not like mat, mat, like pressure in a match, you know. So maybe Mm -hmm. he just performs better that way where there's not too much on the stakes, right? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, not too much stake, yeah. Um, Yeah. I was also thinking when Halleck thinks of himself, like the how Herbert described Halleck's like thought process as a well-trained fruit tree. I kind of thought it was a little weird because he described himself as full of well-trained feelings and abilities, and all of them grafted onto me, all bearing for someone else to pick. So I felt this was kind of weird because, I mean, I, I get the fruit tree reference, of course, but so like he got all these talents from like fighting inside the arena and then bearing for someone else to pick. Is he like thinking of himself as like a sacrifice to Paul or something? I, was, I don't know. Maybe not a sacrifice, but more of just like, you know, like how uh, when ant plants die, they like become into fertilizer, right? But before, but before they like, before they die, they have to like make some sort of offspring and like apple trees make apples and then the seeds from the apples like grow into Oh, another tree. grow into more So, trees, yeah. so basically, uh, well, Paul is picking those apples from Gurney.
is oh, basically yeah. what I was thinking. So he's taking right. Gurney's skills too. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's like mm -hmm. like a successor kind of thing, right? Yeah. And I think Gurney, yeah. I mean, to me, yeah, that definitely puts it in perspective. I honestly did not understand this quote too much when reading. Um, but yeah, that definitely makes sense. Like, Paul is picking the good qualities off of Gurney, taking the good things, you know, that Gurney's teaching mm -hmm. him and applying it in his future. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, and then also we get honestly a very sad backstory of gurney here um about his sister so it's it's a really sad way that she had to die you know at the mercy of harkonnen troops right and honestly mm -hmm. gurney it makes me respect him a lot and he he's had a lot of horrible things in his past i mean we've only known him for like four pages but we already know about he's a very melancholic character right like, yeah he has a quite the, the terrible no history no matter how body he seems you know he was like so rowdy you know when he came in and he was like with his battle set or whatever you know he's got he's he's hiding a lot of pain behind that you know mm -hmm. so it's it's all sad man. yeah he probably works for the atreides because he has a bone to pick with the harkonnens yeah after, honestly, yeah. yeah honestly because the atreides definitely he and leto would get along they both hate the harkonnens first mm -hmm. we don't know why leto hates harkonnens but now we get inside into why gurney does right and it's definitely a very good reason right yeah um I, it's totally yeah gurney's totally you know it totally makes sense for gurney to support the, the harkonnens after what they did you know, to totally understandable. Yeah, um, and it makes you sympathize with a lot. Um, so honestly, yeah, he's probably the the best character in my opinion to come out of this chapter. I mean, at least the deepest one. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, he's yeah he's he's got a lot of things going on. I wouldn't be surprised if that kind of affects him in the future. Alrighty, so um, that kind of wraps up discussion. But of course, uh, we couldn't leave y'all hanging and not give y'all your favorite sidebar, right? So. Um, we'll now we'll jump into some of the our favorite quotes from Chapter Four of Dune. So, Fillmore, why don't you take it away? Of course, uh, my favorite quote of this chapter is: "A world is supported by four things: the learning of the wise, the justice of the great, the prayers of the righteous, and the valor of the brave. But all of these are as nothing without a ruler who knows the art of ruling." The yeah, Sun Tzu art of rule. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. Uh, anyways, so I really like the way they outline the necessary elements of a thriving thriving world. Uh so honestly I thought that was quite profound. Yeah. And however, I also think that the last part of the quote, a ruler who knows the art of ruling, is kind of ironic because the emperor is like jealous of Duke Leto and is trying to kill him. And even though Duke Leto is like, yeah, even though Duke Leto is quite the important asset in like the universe, uh -huh. but that's like not a good example of the art of ruling. So I just found <laughs> that to be quite ironic. Yeah, it's very what interesting the, uh, what they actually mean by the art of ruling. We talked about this actually a little bit earlier, right? Does is the art of ruling? Does that mean hard, hard-handed dictator? You know, whip people into shape, like whip them in a line, or does it mean kind of an off, you know, like a laissez-faire kind of? You know, mm -hmm. where, where you just kind of leave the people alone, right? Um, and, like, so, take care of them in, like, the yeah, shadows. Kind of, yeah. Kind of, just, kind of just keep them, you know, close, but, like, not, like, keep them kind of under control, but let them, basically, they have free will on their day-to-day -day basis. So mm -hmm. we actually don't know that. And, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if the Emperor was the first kind, the hard-handed dictator, and Leto was That's the second kind. Yeah. yeah, and that, that would be a good contrast, you know. You kind of contrast mm -hmm. their personalities. Right. Um, 
Okay, so I'll talk a little bit about my quote now. Um, I, I picked, A world being the sum of many things, the people, the dirt, the growing things, the moons, the tides, the suns, the unknown sum called nature, a vague summation without any sense of the now. I just noticed we both pick quotes with a list, you know. Yeah. We both have, they're both lists, but honestly, lists are so, so great because they have these, this repetition kind of like a chant. Uh, parallelism like, yeah, yeah definitely it's it feels like you're chanting something and it makes it a little more you know more, mm -hmm. more profound the but... reverend mother likes to talk in this <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's it's an abstract quote this quote i picked um it's kind of going about how nature is unpredictable which is of course very general and it's made up of these many things right the the people dirt growing things moons tides suns you know and those aren't like the things I would bring up generally when talking about nature, but you know, <laughs> yeah. they, I mean, they all make a lot of sense, like, especially like suns, you know, sun is like the key to life and then growing things, right? People, the dirt, right? Like mm -hmm. the soil, like, like supports life. Yeah. I don't know about moons and tides, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, don't I don't know how, how much the tides help people, but especially I mean, since many on, on Arrakis when they're going to go there. <laughs> yeah. There's not going to be any oceans on Arrakis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I mean, and nobody really knows, you know, what causes anything, right? Which thing causes anything. And even though, you know, nature has all these things, right? It's, it's a big uncertainty. And it also focuses on how nature is pretty continuous and it keeps on moving and it just doesn't stop, you know, it doesn't give regard to the present uh, or the now, as in the quote. And it reminds me of how, like, in, in current society, people are so worried about, you know, how they look today or how they feel today or what grid they got today, you know. But honestly, if you, in the big picture, right, nothing really matters. Not yet. Yeah. It's it just all so superficial. Matter. Yeah, it's just all, time just keeps flowing, you know, it never stops, right grades only matter now yeah. and will stop will stop mattering once you get out of school yeah or you know it's a, they just or they just never like matter in the whole scheme of things right yeah, yeah. we say that but we're still gonna try hard yeah, for we grades. Say that, but <laughs> we say that but you know for a fact after recording this i'm gonna go study <laughs> i have homework to do yeah yeah i have homework to do also <laughs> okay uh, let's move on to my quote i chose a very simple quote from the end of the chapter because it left off on a really nice note in my opinion it was like gurney halleck was like reassuring well not i guess not reassuring but he was like if wishes were, were fishes we'd all cast net so this was like after paul was like what do you think it was like really that bad well like do you think a fremen would help us and stuff like that uh -huh. and then like gurney's just be like no bro stop thinking so optimistically he's like <laughs> quiet down boy uh, yeah <laughs> honestly <laughs> it reminds me of the quote like like, after someone breaks, it's like, there's more fishes in the sea, you know? It's like... Yeah, there's always more, yeah. There's <laughs> always more coming. But at the same time, it's, like, referring to the opposite. Like, it's not that many fishes. Well, like, maybe, like, maybe there is. But I feel like Ernie's got the connotation of there's not that many fishes, you know, with all... And then that's why mm. we're not all casting that. Yeah. I feel mm. like definitely it's a manner of, like, wishful thinking that people tell themselves in order to feel better. And, like, he's breaking that right now. And, like, this is, like, what a mother would, like, say to the child to combat this, like, optimism, like Yeah, that. it's, it's yeah. kind of encouraging. I guess after Gurney, what Gurney went through, it makes sense for him to be a pragmatist. Yeah. Um, yeah, for him to, you know, stay stay real and, you know, and yeah, I guess he, you know, he really doesn't allow himself to speculate or unlike us where we we literally live off speculation in this podcast but uh he doesn't he doesn't speculate that much he doesn't let himself get ahead he doesn't let himself get ahead of himself right so 
I mean, to be honest, it's probably what keeps him alive, his mindset. Yeah, I mean, just his mindset. And it kind of contrasts my previous quote, you know, time keeps flowing. I mean, Gurney is really rooted in the now, you know. He's not focusing on the past. He's not focusing. He, I mean, no matter how much the sister mattered to him, you know, he already kind of repressed, like, some of his, like, sister's memories, right? So yeah. he's really, you know, he's really focused on getting things done in the now. So that's something I can also respect, you know. He's just... <laughs> Yeah, he's like a, he's just this machine, you know, constantly moving, never stopping, never looking back, never looking forward, right? Just doing. Hopefully, what's necessary. it carries on to Paul, you know. Hopefully, Paul gets some of this because Paul needs some where of that, he's yeah. going, yeah, he needs it. He, where he's going, he's especially, like an idealist. Especially since he can, Paul can predict the future and stuff. You know, he'll need That's he'll so need true. something anchoring him, right? Uh -huh. And and you know, obviously, you can't get carried off. And if he's not the quiz, like you know, remember how. I was speculating in episode one how people died in the truth there test because they go too far back into their own genealogy, right? Yeah. So I guess that could be something. He's going to need something rooting him. Maybe Gurney's going to be the one to do it, you know, his anchor. You know? I hope so. Yeah, that would, that would be a great, you know, use of Gurney's character because he, he's honestly one of my favorite characters I've met so far. So he's mm -hmm. got a lot of layers. Um, yeah. Yeah, so... Um, and I believe that concludes the discussion for this episode of the Do Not Enter podcast. And uh, make sure to read to Chapter 5 and Dune in next time when we discuss it. As always, thanks to all of you listeners for being patient with us and being interested in our thoughts. Uh, and if y'all haven't already, which y'all should have, uh, follow us on Twitter, uh, Reddit, and email us at do not enter at gmail.com. Um, that or at do not enter for twitter so that's spelled d-u-n-e-n-o-t-e-n-t-e-r it's the same as uh it's the same as you know the title of our podcast um and also if y'all haven't uh, if y'all enjoy this episode uh give us a review on itunes or spotify uh please five stars five stars only <laughs> don't give <laughs> stars reviews um and of course if you'll have any questions or comments you know please email them to us we love questions but also criticisms um as if we could do anything wrong on this podcast but you know but if we have if y'all have something uh we should improve on please do not hesitate to let us know we love feedback so, uh -huh, um, do not yeah <laughs> oh my god yeah do not do not hesitate um but other than that um have a great week y'all and we will see you back very very soon See you guys. Yeah, peace Bye -bye. out. Peace out.